Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad to have you with me this morning. Hope you are come prepared to grab your Bible, your coffee, and let's get into the Word this morning. We're going to John chapter 2. I told you to start of the year that we were going to work our way through the book of John. I've got John in the mix. What I'm trying to do is uh, I've got three, four things that I really want to uh, teach and talk about this year. And the book of John has been on my heart because... It, it just reveals so much about the life of Jesus. And I think it's important that we look at the book of John and pull some truth out of it. So this is May 1st, and we're only on John chapter 2. So it's going to take us a while. I'm not doing John every week like I would a series. I'm blending it in with three or four other basic topics that I want to really cover this year. Manifestation of the sons of God. I want to look at some deeper life studies a couple of weeks out of the month. Uh, talk about the restoration of all things. So there's a lot of there's a lot of areas, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of areas and topics we want to get through. But I do want to cover the book of John. I don't know if I'm going to get through it this year, or if it's going to take me a couple of years. But really, who cares? We're going to work our way through it. So we're going to go to John chapter two this morning. And while you're turning over to John chapter two, I'm going to read verses one to eleven. I just want to preface what I want to say this morning with this: There comes a time in your life when you are as a manifesting son, as a manifesting daughter, manifesting creation of the Father, there comes a time that you uh, become known publicly as to who you really are. You become known as your true self. There comes, there comes a time that you step over the line of no return. Now, some of you have already crossed that line. Some of you are approaching that line. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Here's, here's what happened in my life. When I first came into the revelation of grace, finished work of the cross, unconditional love, all these things that we talk about at the Digital Cathedral, I was, I, I was so excited, so enthused, and I would take two or three steps forward, but then I would begin to question it, and I would take a couple of steps back. There comes a time, and the only way I know how to describe it, there comes a time that you step over the line when you're absolutely convinced that what you see, what, you're, what you believe, what you have had revealed to you is absolutely the truth. In, in other words, you're no longer concerned about the opinion of other people. This weighs heavy on a lot of believers today is the opinion of other people. So that when you come out of church or you come into a new system, you come into a new way of life, you're concerned about what other people are going to say about it. There comes a time when you step over the line, you're no longer concerned about what other people, uh, what other people think. You're no, you're no longer afraid of failing spiritually that you're going to end up on the bad side of God. You see God as pure love, 100% agape, and there's no, there's no bad side to him. You can only be in his favor. You can only be in his goodness. He can only pour his grace upon you. There comes a time when you step over the line that you can look at your life and you can see the changes that have taken place. You changed and you know it. You can look at your life and you can see, man, I changed here. And most often when you're in grace, you don't even recognize the changes going on. You don't recognize the changes taking place, but it does. So you're, you're, you're comfortable with who you are. That's what I want to get across this morning. I want you to know that if you're not this morning, if you're not comfortable with who you are, because grace will help you to accept you. Grace will help you to accept you just exactly like you are. No facades, no veneers, no put-ons, not trying to be something you're not to please the people down at the church house. There comes a time that you step over the line and all these things begin to transpire and this whole thing comes together for you. It now makes sense. You now see it clearly and you now become very bold in your proclamation and your, your, your willingness to let that light shine into the lives of other people. This is what's going to happen in John chapter 2 this morning as we look at an incident from the life of Jesus that I think is extremely important for us to, to get a hold of. So I'm going to I'm going to read this and then we're going to uncover and then take it down a little bit deeper before I'm I'm done this morning. But let me read this for you John chapter 2 and I'll read the first 11 verses. Familiar story, but I'm going to read it to refresh your memory and then come back and pull on some things from John 2. John chapter 2 verse 1. And the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Sounds like a fun day. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to Jesus, they have no wine. Jesus said, woman, why, what, what concerns is that of mine? My hour has not yet come. His mother looked at the servants and said, whatever he says to you, do, do it. Verse 6, 
But there were set six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now from what I researched, most water pots of purification were 30 gallons. So I'm going to use that as a standard this morning. 30 gallon water pots. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled up to the brim. And he said to them, draw out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who drew the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is inferior, but you've kept the best wine till now. And the beginning of these signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. So here's what's coming down. Here's what's happening. Jesus' family and disciples were invited to a wedding. I don't know who the wedding was. We're not told who was getting married here. It's, there's nothing in the scripture about that. I, my guess is this. I'm going to surmise that it was a relative of Jesus, most likely on his mother's side. And as the story unwinds, and I'll, I'll say a couple things why I believe that. It's probably on his mother's side, and most likely his mother had a hand in making the wedding go off well. And everything was going good. Everything's going well until they ran out of wine. It was not grape juice. I know what they told you down at the Baptist church. <laughs> it wasn't grape juice. This was fermented, active wine that we would look on today and say, no doubt about it, it was wine. It was not grape juice. Get that out of your head. I don't know why, how that fable ever started, but it was not grape juice. So the mo 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 Jesus' mother, Mary, goes to Jesus and said, uh, we need some help here. We're out of wine. Now, when I, read, when I read the story, I see it as Jesus kind of giving her a hard time, kind of uh, prodding her a little bit, needling her a little bit. And he says, Mom, why are you asking me? Uh, my time hasn't come yet. I'm just here to enjoy the, the wedding feast. I'm here to, to enjoy the wine. I'm here to enjoy the fellowship. Why are you coming to me about this? Uh, this isn't my time to begin this. So Mary looks at the servants, and I think she winked at them, just give them a big wink, and said, whatever he says to do, do it. That's pretty good advice anytime. Whatever Jesus says to do, do it. So Jesus tells them to get six water pots, 30-gallon water pots, and he says, fill them to the brim. So we're talking about, I'm going to run through the math on this, because I want you to see, I think Jesus was a little bit of a party animal. Well, that probably sounds sacrilegious, but I think, I think he enjoyed a good time. I absolutely do. I think Jesus had a great sense of humor. I think travel, look, traveling with 12 men, if you've been around guys, guys, you've been around guys, you know how guys like to joke and horse around. I think that was part of Jesus' humanity. So anyway, he gets six water pots, 30 gallons. Now I want you to follow the math on this because I want you to get an idea of how much wine Jesus actually produced. So there's six, six water pots, 180, uh, 30 gallons to a water pot. That's a hundred, listen, 180 gallons of wine. Now follow my math. I'm going to bring this into today's world to give you an idea. In a wine bottle, a standard wine bottle, there's 25 ounces. In a gallon of wine, there is 64 ounces. So every gallon of wine would produce two and a half bottles. Are you with me? 180 gallons of wine, 25 ounces a bottle, Two and a half bottles per gallon. Now, if there's 180 gallons of wine, we take the 180 gallons times two and a half, and we come up with 450 bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine, guys. 450 bottles of wine. Now, let me carry it further. If a wine bottle contains 25 ounces, and if you go to the restaurant and order a glass of wine, it's generally a five ounce glass. That's about what they give you. If you notice, the glass might be bigger, but they only pour it to a level. It's five ounces. So there's five servings in a bottle of wine. Five servings of five ounces, 25 ounces in the bottle. We got 450 bottles. So if you take the number of servings, five per bottle, multiply it by the 450 bottles, you have 2,200 servings of wine, 2,200. I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume this is an average wedding, a lot larger wedding than maybe normal. There's two, I'm gonna say there's 200 adults, plus children, and plus some people don't drink wine. Some people, you know, have a, a allergic to it or whatever. 
They just don't drink wine. I'm going to say there's 200 wine drinkers. So we have 200, we have 2,200 servings of wine for 200 people, which breaks down. If you, if you divide that, you're going to find that's 11 glasses of wine per person. You don't think Jesus created some wine? The guy created 180 gallons. He created 11 servings per person that was at the wedding feast, assuming there were 200 people. So the, the, uh, the, the, the guy that's running the wedding comes over and tastes the wine and he's astounded. Then he takes it to the, to the bridegroom and he says, hey guy, you know, generally here's what happens. We, we serve the good wine at first because everybody's taste buds are really sensing the wine. But when everybody drinks a couple of glasses, two, three glasses of wine, all of a sudden they're, they got a little bit of a buzz on. They're not quite as sensitive. Then you, you bring out the inferior wine. But what you have done, you have kept the best wine till the last. Now, I think this story has a lot of truth in there. There's a lot of things going on in this story that if we're going to look at it through a spiritual lens, through maybe a little bit of um, typology, a little bit of, of metaphors here. I think we usually look at this story and interpret it as a miracle story that introduces the divine power of Jesus. And that, that's absolutely there. That's absolutely there. But as with most things that Jesus does, there is some underlying, there's some underlying truth here. There's a lot we can see in this story. For example, wine is a symbol for revelation. And I'll read some scripture about that in just a minute. Wine is a good symbol of revelation. Certainly getting a revelation of Jesus today with what you have seen, with what, with what the spirit of truth has revealed to you, that's new wine, brother. That's revelation. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a man, so when you, when you begin to get the mind of Christ, when you begin to let the mind be in you, which was in Christ, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, I'm going to tell you something. That revelation is new wine. That's going to, that's going to blow, blow the sides of the box off down at the church. They're, they're not going to be able to go for that one. It's, it's too heavy. It's too heavy a revy. But for you, that's some new wine. That's, that's some revelation. When we're talking about new revelation, we could say that the church that gathers down at the building, on most buildings, they have run out of revelation. They've run out of the wine. They've run out of new wine. So you know what they do? They serve the water every Sunday. They give it a different title, but it's the same message. They end it the same way, the same song. It's, it's just a repeat. It's a rinse and repeat of the week that's before. Different title, but it ends up being basically the same message. While you that have drunk this new wine, the spirit of truth, and he's filled your heart with revelation, that new wine, and if you're willing to drink it, you're going to say, man, the best truth, the best revelation has been kept until now. So there's, there's a truth there. Uh, Jesus didn't give them inferior wine, and this was, a, this was a total miracle. I mean, this was a miracle. Jesus changed totally the molecular structure of the wine. And one of the things I thought about this week was this. Wine, to be a good wine, it has to age. Jesus skipped the whole aging process. Part of the miracle was making it good wine, the best wine. So he escaped the entire, the entire uh, aging process, fermentation. It, the wine was just top-notch to begin with. It wasn't, and this is going to date me, it was not your Boone's Farm wine in a box. <laughs> this was some pretty good wine. It, and so when you get to the revelation of Jesus and he begins to pour out the spirit of truth and you begin to see what you've never seen before, it becomes revelation. Now let me just give you a scripture that kind of kind of affirms that. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And let me read a couple of verses here. Let me read, just, I'll just read verses 37 to 39. Luke chapter 5. And let me pick it up with verse 37. He said, no man puts new wine into an old wine skin. So let's, let's, let's look at it in terms of revelation. The spirit of truth does not pour top-notch revelation into a religious mindset. And here's why. The new wine will burst the wineskin, blow your mind. They can't, they can't contain it. And the, the new wine will be spilled. In other words, it's not going to be captured. It's not going to be gayed. And the wineskin will be ruined. People today being ruined by revelation, they're, what they're being ruined to is religion. 
When the spirit of truth shows you something, you can't unsee it, and it's firm, it's solid. But he's got to he's got to get that he's got to get your life a little bit flexible before you can get the real good wine, because it's going to stretch you. It's gonna it's gonna um, make you see things you never saw before. And if you're not ready for it, if you're not flexible enough, you're not going to be able to capture it. Then he says in verse. 38, but new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both the wine and the wineskin is preserved. That's you. You're a new wineskin. You're a new wineskin. You're a new creation. You're a species of man and woman that has never walked the planet before. You're coming into understanding of your identity and your consciousness, and you're, 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 you're just moving into realms that you never knew existed or even thought were possible. And he says in verse 39, and no one having drunk old wine immediately, immediately desires the new, for he says that the old is better. Haven't you seen that so many times? You share with somebody exactly what you're seeing. You share with them the grace of God. You let them know that this grace of God, this unconditional love that has been extended to all and embraces all and brings all into the life of the Father, they they see that, but you know what? That's going to contradict. They're going to want the old wine. Grace, yeah, grace is good, but you better be obedient. Grace is good. God gives us grace, but only if you live this way, you can't have sin in your life. Grace doesn't extend to those that, that walk in imperfection, all right? So this, this is a good picture in those three verses of what happens when a teacher tries to pour new wine into an old wineskin. One of two things happens. Either the wineskin bursts, <laughs> it won't receive it, it won't stretch, it won't retain any of it, it will reject it, or else number two, it wants the old wine, it wants the old message, it wants the old revelation, and he, and they will say, I the old message fits me better. I have believed this way all of my life. I'm not going to change. Um, you know, this is what I think is true. And they've heard it repeated so many times that when new wine enters their life, they can't handle it. And so they say, Look, just forget all that. I'm just going to stick with what I've always known. Same thing happened with the children of Israel. Are you aware that when Moses left Egypt, not every, not every Israelite left with, with Moses? Some stayed in Egypt. Some preferred to be enslaved, to be in bondage, than to walk out of bondage and head toward the promised land. Some folks... Some of them just didn't get it. Some of them just couldn't believe that they could now walk out and they could they could leave and be free. And you know, I've come to the conclusion, some people find security in bondage. They really do. They're very comfortable in being in bondage. They're very comfortable with striving. Very comfortable with trying to work to please God. They've done it so long. They've been over this, this, the same process so many times that actually they become very comfortable with it. And we find some of the children of Israel, when they got out into the wilderness, they left, they entered in, but when they got out into the wilderness and things became a little bit difficult, things became a little bit hard, they said, take us back to bondage. Take us back. So there are a lot of people when they begin to make this walk, but it doesn't just suit exactly everything that they've wanted, they will turn around and go back. I've had people do that. I've had close friends do that. I've had associates do that. So in this story from 1 John, we see something going on. See, see a lot going on. And one th I, I do see Jesus unveiling himself as the incarnation, the creator of all things. And we, we read that in, in John chapter 1. Jesus revealing himself. He's the master creator. Everything that was created. Let me read it for you out of John chapter 1. I'll just read verses 1, 2, 3, and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, the Word. The Word made everything. Nothing was made that was made without Him. And verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh. So we know that what verses 1, 2, and 3 is talking about is Jesus. This Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is unveiling his true identity here. He is, he is the creator. He's now manifesting in time and space. He's manifesting in time and space his authentic identity as the Christ from eternity past. He is the word that was made flesh. He's creating again. He's doing a creative miracle. He's creating wine out of water. That's a new creation. He's taking what was and creating what it is to be. So he sets a pattern here. 
He sets a pattern as the man God and he takes something and he recreates it. In John 1.1, he created something out of nothing. But now he's beginning to take something and create something else. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. Hope I'm not moving too fast for you today, but I want to get through all of this. Hebrews chapter 3, or Hebrews chapter 11, and, and verse 3 says this. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The word, and we just read in John 1 who the word was, framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. So the original creation was making something out of nothing. Now throughout the ministry of Jesus, you'll notice that the pattern was he created, he created out of something. He created out of, he had something to start with, and then he created it. When Jesus, who was fully man, fully God, walked the planet and he created, he started with something. He pulled it from the invisible to the visible. Why did he do that? Why did he do it that way? Because in the beginning, he created everything that would ever be created. But not all of it's visible. So what you and I, as co-creators, which Mary was, and I'm going to point a couple things out about Mary in, in a second here. What everything that was created was created at the beginning of time. So what Jesus did is went into the invisible and now made it visible. Now here's what I want you to see about Mary, because Mary Mary was instrumental in this process. If Mary had not have said anything to Jesus, I'm convinced that the wedding would have went on with no wine. So what happened with Mary? I did a six-part teaching on your creator a while ago, and I want you to see this in the life of Mary. The first thing, if you're going to, if you're going to be a co-creator, and, and let me just say everything you do, you do with Christ. You can call it manifesting, you can call it creator, creating. I don't care what you call it. The term is not important. The important thing is to see that you bring from the invisible what is to the visible and you work in conjunction with the Christ. So the first thing that Mary had was a thought. We're out of wine and I need to go to Jesus. Then that thought was developed in her imagination. She began to see the wedding now had enough wine. She began to see in her imagination that the need was met. And then third, that filled her heart to overflowing. And then fourth, out of the abundance of her heart, her mouth spoke. So she went to Jesus and she was confident that Jesus would do what she asked. So I want you to see that pattern. You can go back and look at that six-part series. I took six weeks to explain to you all creation starts with the thought. It's developed fully in the imagination. The picture is developed entirely. And then it drops to the heart. And the heart, the heart grows it until the realization comes that I got it. I have it. And then number four, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Mary had an active part in this wine thing. You may not have looked at it that way. You may have looked at it that Jesus did the whole thing. No, it was Mary and Jesus working in conjunction together. And can I tell you the things that you're looking for, the things that you desire, the things that God has said belong to you, it is a, it is a co-creative process with you and Jesus. You don't do anything without him. Everything we do is Christ-centered. He's the center of it all. But he has, he has brought you in as a joint heir. He's brought you in as a partner. He's brought you in as a brother. So when we look at this story of, of the creation of Jesus, I want you to understand John is a book of non-dualism. There's no twos here. So we, we, we see this story through a non-dualistic lens. Jesus is pictured as the divine source. There's not two. Through which all things are created. There's no other power. There's no other creative source. Everything originates with him. Uh, Romans 11:36 says everything comes from God, passes through God, and returns to God. It's the perfect cycle. It's the perfect circle. That's how all of creation functions that way. From Him, through Him, and to Him. Nothing's ever outside of Him. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Are you staying with me this morning? Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. This is very important. We get this non-dualistic view. It's you and He together as one. It's not two separate people working here. It's not Mary and Jesus. It's the union of Mary and Jesus creating the wine for the wedding. Without Mary, it probably wouldn't have happened. How would Jesus would not, maybe Jesus would have caught on there's no wine, but Mary had a specific request. There was a thought that developed in her imagination. Her heart fully developed it. She went to Jesus and out of the abundance of her heart, she said, Jesus, we have no wine. And Jesus knew exactly what she wanted. 
that she needed wine for the wedding. That's why I think Mary probably had something to do with organizing the wedding. She wanted this thing to come off without a hitch. It doesn't come off without a hitch when you run out of wine. A teaching does not come off without a hitch if you don't have some kind of revelation that you can bring people into, new wine. And I hope you've developed that new, that person to be a flexible wineskin so that they can handle the new wine. I spent a lot of time at the Digital Cathedral getting your wineskin flexible. That's why sometimes I go back over the basics because it flexes your, your wineskin. It makes you so that you're pliable to receive the things we talk about as we go a little bit deeper. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and verse 17 says this, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. What you see, he created. What you don't see, he still created. Whether they're thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That just confirms what we read back in, in John chapter 1 and verse 3. John chapter 1 and verse 3. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So all things consist in Christ. One. Just one. Not two. He holds all things together. He's able to remake the world. He's able to reshape it. And it's symbolized. The reshaping is symbolized by taking the water and turning it into something that it never was before. That's a, that's a miracle, but it's a creation. It's a creative miracle. So what that says to me is that this physical world, listen to me, what that, what that says to me, taking the wine, water, turning it into wine, taking what was and turning it into something that wasn't, taking what was visible and bringing the invisible into transformer, what that says to me is that this physical world that we perceive and that we see is not as fixed as what we've made it be. We've been highly developed in believing if you see it, that's just the way it is. If you hear it, you see it, it's confirmed that, that it, you're not going to change things. No, this world is not nearly as finalized and set in concrete as we've made it. What Paul say? 2 Corinthians 4.18, he said, While well, we look not at the things that are seen, we look at the things that are not seen because the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. The eternal always has more strength, more power, more creative ability than that which you see. That which you see is subject to change. It's temporal. It's going to be this way today, that way tomorrow. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change. The miracle that took place with Jesus turning the water into wine may, just may, have had more to do about changing the perception and the level of consciousness of the wedding attenders, getting them to begin to see the possibility of what is not as though it were, that we can change what we see into what we don't see, but what we desire, we can create it opening them up to another realm of possibility, that might have been a greater miracle than taking the water and turning it into wine. He's showing them that the world of appearance is not the final judge. Get that. The world of appearance is not the final judge. So Jesus is there. And what I see going on in this story, if you meditate a little bit, he's taking the minds of the wedding attenders and showing them a different way to perceive reality. He's showing them that Mary and Jesus together totally changed the situation, brought something into existence that never was before. So this change takes place when we see through the eyes of non-duality. Do, do you understand what I'm talking about by non-duality? There's one power, there's one life, there's one creator. There's not two powers. We aren't asking a greater power to come defeat this lesser power. See, the church is so dualistic. We've been raised on dualism, that God is a great power, but the devil has power. Good has power, but evil has power. No, there's one power. And anything other than that, we have given our power to empower it. Think about it. Just as, as Jesus was the only source, giving them a glimpse into how fluid this visible world really is. It is not set in concrete. It is not permanent. Now, what we've been convinced by religion to believe is that God and us are two. That's why we pray to a God up there. 
That's why when, when people worship, they lift their hands. They're trying to reach a God that is outside of them. Being two, we see us then, we see God as a great power, and we see us automatically then as a lesser power than what his perception of us is. He thinks way more of us than we think ourselves, than we think of ourselves. The only right perception, listen to me, the only perception that you're going to have of yourself that is correct is to see yourself as he sees you. Don't see yourself as others have told you. Don't see yourself as maybe you have seen yourself in the past. There's only one way to see yourself. There's not two. There's not the way you see yourself and the way God sees you. There's one way to see yourself. That's your, that's your identity, man. That's your authentic identity. And that is to see yourself through the eyes of God. Because we've seen two. Because we've seen God in us. We've seen two. We've seen two there. We've become very insecure. We become fearful that maybe this separate entity from us is not going to prove of us. So we go through all kinds of gymnastics and spiritual activities to try to get approval because we see two. God never said there was two. He said we were created in his image and likeness. He's always embraced us. He's always been with us. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. David said, if, if I go to the heights of the heights or the depths of the depths, he's still there. He's always there. So it becomes our psychological and spiritual reality because of how we've been groomed and drilled that there's two. That's what Adam did. Adam set the precedent on this. Adam created a God in his mind. When Adam disobeyed, he created a God in his mind. And people still create gods in their minds. I remember back in the days when I was pastoring, you know, I'd visit somebody who hadn't been to church in a long time. And I knew they were jacked up, messed up. They were off into some stuff they shouldn't have been off in. And you know what they sometimes would tell me? Pastor, if I come back to church, the roof is going to cave in. I'm going to be struck by lightning. What they're saying is God's separate from me. There's two of us. There's him and me. And he's not happy with me. He's angry with me. That's the God that Adam created in his mind. So what do we do? We go back and we read that account in Genesis, the early chapters, first couple chapters of Genesis, we see Adam's perception of what God was, and we, be, we make that our perception. We, we buy the lie that Adam bought that God was separate from him, that he was fearful of him. We, we buy into that lie, we teach it in church, we pass it on to our children, because we learned in school that one plus one equals two. That's not kingdom mathematics. Kingdom mathematics is one plus one, you plus God, one plus one is one. That's kingdom mathematics. There's, there, there's not God in you, there's one. He created you that way. He created, you came out of him. You've always been one with him. I wish I could drive that home with people so that they could actually embrace it. I know it's, it's hard for a while because you've been so schooled in God and you being two. But the whole book of John is about no dualism. It's not about the twos. We're going to get to John 14, 20, where Jesus said, in that day, you'll know that I'm in the Father and that you're in me and I'm in you. There's a union there. There's a, there's a co-mingling so that you can't, you can't even tell when one stops and the other starts. You can't tell where your life ends and his life begins. So let me, let me just mess with you for, for a couple of minutes here. Let me just mess with your theology. Maybe get in your head a little bit. If you're watching me this morning and you're not totally satisfied with your life, not sat totally satisfied with what's happening in your life, you're out of wine, <laughs> you're out of revelation, your, your wine skin's a little bit brittle, I want you to see if you can, just see if you can follow this for, for just a few minutes. And I might be done a little bit early today because I'm, I'm kind of moving through this kind of quick. Let's see if you can catch this. If, you're, if your life's not re really where you want it to be, you'd, you'd like to make some adjustments. I'll say to you, what you need to be is born again. I'm not talking about the born again that they taught you down at church, where you have to pray the prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, confess with your mouth, all that kind of stuff. I'll tell you what being born again is. And Jesus got at it in John chapter 3, but we've never taught it this way. Rebirth, he told to Nicodemus, is the dropping of the level for which you are dissatisfied and rising to the level of your I amness. Jesus said the wind blows where it listens. 
You can hear it. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. It's from above. It's a birth from above. It's a birth from spirit. So what happens when you're born again is this. You drop your present level of consciousness, your present level of perception, and that water leaves, and now all of a sudden, you're beginning to drink some wine of I am. I am blank. Fill in the blank. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am healed. I am whole. I am perfect in his eyes. I am a son of God. Whatever you fill in the I amness, that begins to become now your perception and your reality. If you're gonna, if you if you're not happy with life, listen, you can you can change your life. That's turning the water into wine. It's taking the ordinary, the way that it's always been, and turning it into the extraordinary. Dualism has you serving two levels of consciousness. See, it's, it's a lie. It's a deception. You're serving two levels of consciousness. The two levels of this. What you perceive, what you're able to see, what you're able to hear, that level, that level of con your perception, how you see it all, and then there's that level of consciousness of what you desire. So you can't have water and wine. You can't have both. In that water pot, when Jesus took the water pots, he turned it into wine. The water pot could not hold 30 gallons of water and 30 gallons of wine. For the wine to be produced, the, the water had to go. For, for the level of consciousness, for the level of life that you desire to live, the life that you don't want, the life you perceive has got to go. you got to begin to make a transition. And that's where your I amness comes in. You have to begin to see what I am. Can't serve two masters. Let me let me read from James. James chapter one. James, I haven't read a scripture in a little bit. Better read a scripture. Don't want you to think I forgot the Bible. <laughs> James chapter one, verse five. James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it'll be given to him. So if you're lacking wisdom about how to get to the next place, how to get to where you want to be, ask God. Now, here's what will happen. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So you can't have what you desire. You can't have what you desire and you can't have doubt. You can't have your present life and the life that you desire. Let that man suppose that he doesn't receive anything from the Lord. Watch. For a double-minded man, a man that's concentrating on the water and on the wine, he doesn't get either one. He doesn't get either one. You have to make up your mind today. See, we've got to get dualism out of our thinking. If, if there's something you want, then that becomes what you're after. That becomes the wine. You take the water and you turn it into wine. I am. I am the new wine. I am, I, I am here at the Digital Cathedral. Here's, here's what I, I am the presenter of Revelation. I am a teacher of the gospel. I am. See, if I'd have just thought I'm just this old guy that was, you know, had, had parents that were high school kids and got pregnant for they were married and all that kind of stuff and from a divorced family separated. And, uh, you know, we can all look at, at that stuff and creates dualism. I'm not, I'm not what I should be. No, you are what you should be. That's why I told you at the beginning of the teaching this morning that at some point in time, you're going to step over the line and you're going to become comfortable with you. Grace is going to make you comfortable, you comfortable with you. So you can just be you. This is the greatest life possible. This is the abundant life. I'm living, I'm living the dream, to be honest with you. I'm happy with me. I'm happy with what I'm doing. Life is good. You know, does that mean there are no negatives? Does that mean there are no unexpected things? Of course there are. Of course, there are things in my family. Would I like to adjust? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are there things in my past that I wish were different? Absolutely. But you know what? That all fits together. Everything is working together for good. That has to become your sense of reality. You can't serve two masters. The one you serve is the stronger. If the water is stronger than the new revelation, you'll stick with the water. And what Jesus said, the old wine is better. You don't want it. You don't want any of this new wine. You don't want a new wine skin. You don't want to change. You don't want to adapt. You're just, and then you just complain about it. Just complain about it. You can't serve two. Whichever one you perceive, that will become your reality. For example, you can't be sick and well. 
You can't be sick and well. Which one is it? That's two. There's got to be one. Are you sick or are you well? You can't be rich and poor. Now, if you're going to go by perception, see, there's, that's why there's two levels of conscience, what you perceive and what you desire. If you're going by what you perceive, you might be sick. That might be the, the fact. But the truth is the new wine, and the truth is you're, you're, you're healed. Truth is you're whole. You might be poor as Job's turkey, is that saying? You might be poor, but by his, his stripes you're healed, and he became poor that you might become rich. So you have got to get the oneness, no duality. You can't say, well, I'm poor, but I'd like to be rich. No, you have to know that your consciousness is rich. You can't be happy and sad. You can't be fulfilled and depressed. You need to be born again into your I amness. And that's what begins to create a brand new reality for you. This is what this is what brings you into a life that you really desire. So if, if you're to have the wine, you got to let the water go. You got to let the water go. If you want the new, you have to let the old go. Being born again, listen, being born again is having the assumption of being what you desire. Already being that. See, the trappings, the perception will catch up. But it, 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 has, to, it has to begin with an, a proclamation. See, Jesus would have never turned the water into wine if he hadn't begun to declare, get the six water. When they got the six water pots, it was as good as wine because Jesus had, had already in his thinking, in his heart, and his mouth was already beginning to speak it. It was a miracle. I don't know the process Jesus went through. The scripture doesn't tell us. But I will tell you this. Your days, as Jesus' days, to drop the two, the duality, and assume the one are here. You're at, you're at a place at the Digital Cathedral. I've taught you long enough that you have to see that you drop the two to get the one. Until your present consciousness is dropped, you cannot come into another level. I think that's what Jesus was going after in John chapter 14. Listen to this very carefully. This scripture, this will set you free in some things. This may just bring it together for you this morning. In John chapter 14 and verse one. I'm going to read three verses. John 14 verses one, two, and three. This is, this is going to bring it into focus. Are you, are you with me so far? To come into where you want to be, to get the wine, you got to let the water go. If your life, you're not happy with your life, you have to let the past go to grab the new. And if you're just a brittle old wineskin, when he pours the wine in, you're not going to be able to hold it. I'll tell you this, he's not going to waste the revelation. He's not going to waste the wine pouring it into an old wineskin. Jesus said this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. Where, who or what is the Father's house? You're the Father's house. You are the temple of the living God. And within that house, there are many dwelling places. What's he talking about here? He's talking about levels of consciousness. He's talking about levels of perception. He's talking about levels of I amness. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. He left and sent the spirit of truth to prepare the house, to prepare the temple, to move from one room to another. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, spirit of truth, and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. This, this is a powerful scripture. There's all kinds of, of, of levels of, of consciousness in the Father's house, in the temple. You're the temple. You're that house. But you can't go from the kitchen to the dining room till you leave the kitchen. You can't go from one room in the Father's house to another room until you leave that level and go to the next one. Maybe, just maybe, that's why Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forth to the things that are ahead of me. Right? You can't, you can't grab the thing ahead of you if you're holding on to the past. If you want to move from one room to the next room, you have to let it go. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Here's how you've let it go. You have the ability to let it go. It's, it's within the realm of possibility. 
Galatians chapter 2. Here's why. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. That's, that's, changed, that's changed your position. When that revelation comes that you were crucified with him, co-crucifixion. He didn't die for you. He died as you. You died as him. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. All right, we moved out of one place into another. But it's Christ who lives in me. And that which I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, in my New King James, it says faith in the Son of God. That is the wrong preposition. The, the King James originally had it right. I live by the faith of the Son of God. A lot of the translations got it right. Some of them kept the wrong preposition. And religion had a way of keeping the wrong preposition in because it, it says you have to have then the faith in the Son of God. That's not what the original says at all. It says that you live by the faith of the Son of God. It's not your faith. You have moved from anything you, you felt you could do. You've moved from your faith into his faith. Now watch verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If righteousness comes by my efforts, see, I'm still living dualistic. I'm trying to get righteousness by me. No, the righteousness is an imputed gift. It has been direct deposited into your life when you were crucified with Christ, resurrected with Christ, ascended with Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus now, today. It's not something you're trying to get. There's no, no, no striving for it. It's not righteousness in you. You are righteous. I sure hope you're getting this this morning. So when, you're, when, when, when it's a born-again experience, you are born again, and your life is his life. No longer two lives. You've gone from the duality of two. Your life and his life are, are singular. We cannot separate them. We cannot separate them. This is hard for some people because that means that you are a partaker in the divine nature. That merely means that as he is, so are you in this world. It, it means that there's no duality anymore, that when the Father sees you in Christ, he sees one. You've gone from the mixture of law and grace. That's two. See, you've gone, well, well, there's some grace, but there's also some law. There's a lot of good teachers out there today that are teaching a mixture message, and it's dualistic. So the biggest names in grace right now, and a lot of us came into grace through those guys, they're still teaching the law and grace. They're still teaching tithing and grace. No, tithing was law. You're out of that. You're into grace. So whichever room you're living in, whichever room that you're living in, in the mansion, in the house, in the temple, where, which, whichever room your consciousness is residing in today, you can, you can elevate it. You can take it to a diff different place. You can, you can go, listen, you can go from a room at Motel 6 to the Ritz-Carlton. Now, I've stayed at Motel 6 and I've stayed at the Ritz-Carlton. Can I tell you something? I'd much rather move to the Ritz-Carlton. The food is better, the accommodations are better, the rooms are much bigger, they're more beautiful. Ritz-Carlton, you got a bathrobe you can put on. Motel 6 is bones, but you can stay there. So a lot of us in our life, we stayed at the Motel 6 when we should be over to Ritz-Carlton. It's because we've seen there's two, there's two, there's two. No, there's just one life. You, you, can, you can fly coach or you can fly business. I've flown coach, I've flown business. You know which one I like? I like business. So you know when I fly? I fly business because I prefer that. That's, that's where I want to be. So you have to decide where you want to be in life, then elevate your I amness to that place of consciousness. Let the water go, embrace the wine, the revelation that comes to you, be a flexible wineskin and drink it all in. The place from which you are invited to escape from is your present conception of yourself. You're invited to move to a place of wine revelation where there is no limitations. Nothing is impossible to God. Watch, watch. All things are possible to him that believes. So it's not God working over here and you working here. It's, it's one, all things are possible. It's one, there's no limitation. It's you and he working it together. And I had really trouble driving that home, I think, in that, in that You're a Creator series. But I want you to see that it's a, it's a working together. It's a cohabitation. It's a union. You can't, can't separate it. It's a move in your I am, your awareness, and, and being fully in understanding of, of your, your presence and your life no longer is water, 
but a very fine wine. Amen. All right, so we pulled a lot out of this, uh, these 11 verses in John. Hope this, some of this settled into your spirit. I always suggest that you go back and listen again. Now make sure that you hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified every time we come on. Hit the like, the subscribe, and if you pick something up out of this today, I want you to leave a comment so that when others come over to view the video, they read the comments and they're encouraged to watch the teaching for themselves. Thank you for being with me this morning. Um, we, we went over a lot real fast. Uh, we'll go over a little bit more Wednesday night at The Secret Place on the Don Keithley Ministry page on Facebook. If you're not a member of that page, come over and ask to join. It's a private group. You can share your thoughts, share your understanding without uh, being trolled or argued with. It's a place it's a place of freedom. So see you over there Wednesday night. See you back next Sunday morning here at the Digital Cathedral. And we're going to keep pressing on with some good stuff this year. God bless. See you next time.